All right, welcome to this episode of The Grill Podcast. My name is John King. I'm the host of the agronomy segment of our podcast. Today, we're going to be diving into some current events of what's happening out in the field as we kind of conclude this uh, growing season with Dan Bjorklund, our technical agronomist, and our new hire to Landis, Brad Sherwin, who is our technical agronomy data analyst. We're also going to be detailing a little bit of what Brad's going to be doing here at Landis uh, with his new talents. We're also going to look at what's happening in the global fertilizer market as uh, there's been a lot of new and interesting developments um, that are going to impact prices here this fall. Uh, we're going to switch over to the main portion of the podcast that's also going to be part of our product of the month where Matt Brown, our Southeast BU leader, will be interviewing Travis Belt, who is the portfolio and technology leader for Vermont Seeds. We've got an action-packed episode here, and uh, stay tuned. All right, guys, it is August 25th. We're rounding out the growing year. So we're gonna talk a little bit here now about uh, some current events. But first off, obviously I got Dan Bjorklund, Brad Sherwin with me. Um, Brad, you're new to the team, been at Landis a grand total of what, four days now, today's day four. We're excited to have you, appreciate you joining the team. And definitely wanna give all the listeners out there a little bit of piece of who you are, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what you're going to do and then some, some mild stuff about uh, what we're bringing on from data analytics. Oh, thanks, John. Glad to be here. So, Brad, tell us your background. What have you done in the industry? Obviously, Dan here, you know, he's been pestering me for six months that we had to get you on the team. We finally, the stars aligned, and now we got you. So tell us a little bit about your background. And obviously, you and Dan used to work together, so a little bit about yourself. Well, I've been in the game for 33 years now. My background is really in soil chemistry, fertility, genetics, and data analytics. Spent a number of years with different companies, so I've had the privilege to understand how they work, the inner workings, what makes up the product list that they put out every year. Combine that with my knowledge of analytics, I think it opens up a Pandora's box of potential that we can leverage for the future and for our customers. So, uh, you know, I'm a baseball guy. Dan always comes to me and he explains to me your analytical program, which, you know, you basically have kind of created yourself as the money ball opportunity for growing corn and soybeans. And I'm a baseball guy and I, you know, data analytics now is every part of all sports. So, you know, it's about time that we got this into the farming economy. Yeah, I still don't think Dan qualifies as Brad Pitt, but... No, that's a good point. <laughs> I can handle the Jonah part. I love <laughs> the part for the most part. The analytics that we've got, uh, that we're working on now, is really predictive analytics on a field-by-field -field basis using the grower's own data. Something that has not been done that I'm aware of. We've been capturing data for years. Growers have been capturing their harvest and planting data in their equipment for years and years, but we've really never done much with it mm -hmm. as far as looking ahead. So really, the, the whole premise is, is taking a lot of big data, per se, or maybe it's really intimate data, but as far as the farmer can see it, and compiling it to give better statistical outcomes. Right. We can build models with high levels of confidence with the grower's own data on a field-by-field -field basis, understand what are the nutrient factors they need to pay close attention to, which will differ field from field. Their planting data, we can optimize what their population needs to be, what their down pressure needs to be, what their speed needs to be on a field-by-field -field basis. So it's really gaining insight at a higher level than ever before. I think of it in terms of a tailored solution, mm -hmm. but it's tailored not only to the grower's operation, but to each field that they put in. No, I think, you know, the long run, you know, you kind of think about it, there's a lot of companies that, you know, look at different aspects of the business and tailor everything toward that. You know, each farm is a different, it's going to be a different outcome. Now, they're not all created equal, right? There's a reason their CSR values or their APHs are different you know, whatever it may be, because every farm is different. So I think it'll be interesting and definitely more to come on that. You know, I'm looking forward to um, what that turns into and, and how our farmer owners can glean that information from both you and Dan. And like, like, it sounds like it's been a busy four days to start with and some good outcomes already. So I think we'll definitely be back on to talk about the, the full package at some point. So glad to have you. Glad to have you aboard. So Dan, the Tarspot maniac that you are, 
give everybody a little bit of flavor of what you're finding. Well, first of all, um, I do believe that I do fill the role of uh, Brad Pitt for the Moneyball movie. <laughs> for those people who saw the movie, and, and Brad, I love Brad. He is a great Jonah Hill. He really knows um, the information and the data, and he's going to be a, a, an excellent asset to the team. On Tar Spot, um, for, on Brad's second day, we went up to a field near Hampton that we had looked at uh, August 12th. And it was the first time we'd actually seen those black spots that are called stromata, not stomata, stromata. Uh, those are the fruiting bodies. And um, they release the spores, and then that cycle just continues with the weather that's favorable, which is wet leaf surface. Some people have said, you know, cooler, wetter weather. Um, it actually is just whatever amount of rain you had and whatever keeps those leaves wet for several hours um, that is optimum for uh, the development uh, and for the spores to infect uh, new leaves. What we found uh, over there was um, in one week's time we'd gone from just two or three of those stromata on the lower leaves to complete infestation throughout the canopy. Um, we did do uh, an application of Altima at seven and a half ounces. We did it with a helicopter. Um, went back again to look at it, and John, it doesn't look like we're stopping it. Yep. Um, and I think part of it is probably maybe it just progressed too far. Uh, because what we've learned about tar spot is that it infects the leaf. You don't really see those black fruiting bodies until about 14 to 21 days later. So it's already been working in that plant. And so by the time we saw it here without having that initial BT application, it's really infected that plant uh, in, in that particular field. Now we will still be able to check yield uh, uh, afterward. We're following it on a weekly basis. Uh, we'll be posting some more YouTube videos uh, on that just to show people the progression uh, of what we've seen. But that started the tar spot. Uh, you you got together the team. We did a team's meeting. Yep. We had 40 or 50 people there. We announced uh, to the entire team at Landis what we were seeing, and it's exploded since then. We're getting calls every day from, from all of our territory. It's been very heavy in the Northeast, but... Got a call from Collins, uh, not too far from Des Moines yesterday. Uh, calls from Rita, uh, Glidden, uh, Lake City, Lake City um, all over the place. And there's all various levels uh, of the tar spot. Here are some, some factors that I would point that we've learned so far. Um, it, this is all anecdotal um, because we have to have the data guy get the statistics for us later on. But anecdotally, this is what we're seeing. Anyone who sprayed at VT, even if you didn't see the disease, but if you sprayed a VT and you're in an area where we had the disease, it's done a very good job of really limiting the amount of expression we're seeing. For some people that sprayed a VT and they sprayed it on a hybrid that is a little bit more susceptible, they've had to go back in for a second application because we started to see that. And that seems to be helping. For those people that did not spray anything at all, and you're finding it now in August at this state, um, we are doing some testing, we are doing some applications, but it's looking like it's much more difficult to stop it. So when we look for managing it for 2023, definitely we want to have a plan in place and a program in place. It's the disease triangle. The host is the corn. Mm -hmm. The disease is present in the residue. It's not going to go away. It's yep. going to be there. And the environment, the weather, is going to be the third factor. So we'll be able to, you know, look at what our weather conditions are next year. We know it's throughout our entire territory. And we're going to have a great plan for people uh, to prevent this disease from from uh, from hurting yield, like in, in the eastern public. All right, guys. So then, you know, when I think about this tar spot situation, you know, I'm really thinking back back to when I, you know, pitching days playing baseball. You know, all your pitching coaches, all they ever talk about is early and often, hit the strike zone, early and often, get ahead in the count. You know, I mean, is it kind of drifting the same way on tar spot, uh, disease control? You know, again, a lot of the growers that we were working with at the beginning of the year, you know, they were loading up on fungicide. We're going to two-pass program, two-pass program, tar spot. 
talked to them, you know, this summer, and a lot of them were like, well, I decided not to do the two-pass program, wasn't seeing a lot of issues, we just went one pass and called it good. So, you know, when I think about this, is it more realistic for a farmer when they're thinking about it next year from a preventative side to look at uh, generic quilts, you know, maybe a headline amp, or a two-mode fungicide that's maybe a little bit more cost competitive early at V8 or somewhere in that time frame to get ahead of it, then come back with that premium fungicide afterwards, or a Valtima that's got something that's a little bit more residual. I mean, what's, what's the thoughts around that? Well, one of the things that I've seen when we've been researching this is, first of all, the, the each of the fungicides have different AIs, uh, active ingredients, and the active ingredient that works on tar spot uh, is thought to be the strobilirum. So we've got strobilirum and we've got triazoles, and then, of course, in the three modes of action, we have the SDHI. SDHI. Um, so also we have some research from Purdue in Illinois, which is really good because they've been experiencing this the last three right. four years, and so they've looked at which uh, fungicides seem to be having uh, the best activity. So Brad, what do you think about what John said of coming in with something on the first pass, um, but wouldn't we have to make sure that it has a good concentration of the strobe if that's what is active on this tar spot? Well, I think John's spot on in his analogy there, the best weed control is the weed that never comes up. The best disease controls the disease you never see having a good plan in place to be prepared for that, to execute that plan is gonna be key when you start to understand. And as an industry, we're still learning more and more every day about tar spot. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of unknowns out there, but when you look across the spectrum of fungicides, those strobilurin concentrations in the mixes differ. And so understanding that, having that as part of your plan, use something that maybe as you mentioned a little bit more cost competitive up right. front in that VT application, which right now data seems to indicate that's key, getting ahead of it, and then coming back with something that is maybe of a bit more higher concentration of the strobilurins like the Veltima, which is around 17% of the mix versus 11, 12% in some of the other products, I think is going to be a really good sound strategy. Yeah, you know, and I think that's important because, you know, when you think about new diseases or you know and yeah tar spots not completely new but i mean honestly for central iowa pretty new right you know i was here last year and then up by hampton we didn't have the problems we had this year and we had equal to or maybe even a little bit more rain so i think across the state as this continues to grow there's going to be a lot of different changes on how we plan for it and you know i think that's important as we as we enter next season again crop budgets, everything that everybody's looking at from the fertilizer side, eating up a lot of dollars, right? You start talking about another $25 application, right? The first thing everybody's thinking of is like, I don't know if I can afford that, but you know, our family farm in North Central Illinois, we've been dealing with tar spot for five years. And let me tell you what you can't afford. You can't afford having tar spot completely decimate your crop versus worrying about the $25 extra that you might have to spend on it. You know, I think it's part of the statistical part that we're gonna bring from your side of the business. We're talking in the learning groups about different scouting programs and how do we, you know, maybe have earlier detections. So I think there's going to be a lot of different ways long term that the farmer's going to have to think about tar spot and be prepared for it because um, it's definitely a big deal. And it ain't going away. It's here. It's going to be here next year. And those that had it this year better be prepared to prevent it next year. So I mean, a lot of what you've seen, you know, it's it's val that's valuable. You know, the scouting you've done. Once you got it, there's not much you can do to stop it. Well, John, what has also been really, really helpful to us is we have um, several plots uh, yep. in the area where we have the major brands that are available uh, today to be planted. Right. And we've had an opportunity where tar spot has come in to actually see some differences in susceptibility. It does appear right now that the Corteva brands, and we have quite a bit of Vermont out there in our plots, is we're just not picking up as much when we go out. And again, I, I like to say anecdotal because it's observational, right. but that's what we're seeing. And there are some very popular products for some other brands like DeKalb that have been uh, grown over the last few years that seem to be picking this up. Now, this is not meaning that we're picking one brand over another, but I think what's important is that if you have a favorite product out there and uh, you have a decal product that you like but it's showing 
that tendency a little bit susceptible. That really helps in the planning process of what fungicide activity, what products you're going to use, definitely plan for uh, a two-pass uh, program. Well, and I think it's funny. So yesterday I sat in on some uh, peer group type meetings here in, in our office and uh, there was a rep from BASF here that was presenting on, you know, their product lines, chemical industry update. And he had a picture that really resonated with me, okay? It's from Southern Michigan or Southern or Central Michigan. And it was a field that had tar spot on it, but it was irrigated. And it was to the water line of where the irrigation was, was completely decimated by tar spot. The outside corners that didn't get any rain were still green. So, I mean, I think it's, I mean, that is the reality of the situation with tar spot is it, I mean, it is that finicky. I mean, and, it, and I'll, I'll get it. I'll try to get the picture and I'll, we'll put it in the show notes. So anybody that's listening, look at the show notes for this picture. But I mean, it is literally to the waterline for the infection. So, you know, again, I think it's, you know, we're going to have to plan differently. And another sports analogy, right? You know, you're going to play Bill Belichick or somebody else and you plan differently for those kind of people, right? And I think going forward, what you thought always worked or whatever did, the year that you, you think you'll be okay is the year it's going to bite you, right? Kind of like if the Patriots are going to go play the Miami Dolphins back in the day, the Dolphins were terrible, but they didn't prepare very well. Guess what? And then they got beat. So I think it's going to take that kind of preparation as we look forward to continuing to maintain yields that we don't have something coming and absolutely blindside us. I think you're exactly right in the fact that most fields at some point in time have probably had some gray leaf spot in them. Yep. They've probably had some northern corn leaf blight in them. Tar spot, just like the other two, like gray leaf spot, like northern corn leaf blight, are fungal pathogens. Once you've got the infection in the field, the potential for that to be pronounced or blow up, for lack of a better term, is always going to be there. So mapping, planning, having a plan in place to execute if it should happen. It's the third leg of the triangle. What we don't know is the weather. But having that plan in place is going to be critical to success. With the higher grain prices, higher commodity prices, there's more at risk. More at risk, for sure. You know, one thing I was going to say, too, anybody that doesn't follow me on Twitter, look up uh, my Twitter. It's JM King Landis. I posted a couple videos that Dan's put out. He's got his own Twitter. I, I, I tagged him in the Twitter post. He's put some good stuff on there uh, about his evaluations. I think there's maybe a seven or eight minute YouTube video, and I got about a three or four minute video of that he sent me, again, of actually the findings. And one thing I'd say is that we're going to look to do at our Lake City plot that does have tar spot in it is we're going to post the results of what that yield trial look when we take it to yield in the hybrids that perform maybe the best. Because, Dan, you said about every hybrid in there is showing some kind of tar spot, and it was sprayed with fungicide. Am I right by saying that the plot? It had a VT application, and uh, but tar spot is coming in now. It's, it's um, oh, been there about a week, okay. week and a half. So um, I, I, and I, the reason I bring that up is I think that data, okay, you know, we can't get all the data in the world prior to next planting season, but that little small snippet might be something that helps you, again, back to your hybrid specific. Today, it looks like maybe the cow hybrids have been a little more susceptible to disease. But for all we know, maybe they'll be still be the yielding just fine. So I think it's it's a good it's a small stage test, but definitely something that you know we want to continue to educate and bring this to yield and, and provide some some uh, background there. So kind of moving on to soybeans, you know, what are we seeing out there on soybeans? Anything anybody needs to be thinking about? Well, you know, initially um, I was concerned about uh, potential spider mites, and and in the driest, hottest areas. Uh, there have been uh, spider mites showing up in yep. soybeans and actually in corn. One that came in just within the last week, it seems like, week to 10 days, are soybean aphids again. Yep. And we haven't had soybean aphids for a while. We haven't really had to have these uh, big outbreaks, but we've seen soybean ap aphids popping up uh, several areas. And the big question is, at this stage in August, do I need to spray? Do I need right. to take care of them? And it's always a tough call, but we planted later this year. And a lot of the beans that I've been in have very flat pods. They're, they'd be considered R4. So we've got a ways to go, and you don't want to, I mean, yield in soybeans, it's plants per acre, pods per plant, and, and seeds per pod, and size of the seed. You do not want to let the aphids uh, shallow up, uh, lighten up uh, that seed. So if there are four, if there are flat pods, and I have heavy aphids, which this particular field was heavy, I'm spraying them. Right. 
No, I think it's important. I mean, you know, the good thing is we're, we've caught a few rains here in August. I don't, the weather outlook doesn't look like there's bountiful rain, but we've caught a few. There's still potential out there for the beans. You know, really, when you look at the grain fundamentals, you know, Ashley touched on it a little bit earlier in the week, and I know I've talked to, obviously, the market's starting to wake up here this week on the grain side and really starting to put some premium in there around risk on uh, what the Pro Farmer Tour has found. You know, obviously, they've been going around Nebraska. Dryland corner in Nebraska is not looking very sharp. For those that still have opportunities on high yields, you know, I mean, Take advantage of it because the last two years have showed us when as soon as we get in the combines and we realize we didn't have as much as what everybody thought, prices tend to rally. Kind of switching gears, want to bring up some stuff in the fertilizer market that I think is very serious. I'm going to post a few slides on it as part of our, uh, our show notes. Anybody that's been paying attention to the news, again, it's the, it's the 25th today. If you're looking at what's happening again here in Western Europe with natural gas prices, Gazprom came out the other day and said they're shutting off all gas supplies to Europe. They're having plant, they're having maintenance issues, having to work on the pipeline. Um, whether that's reality or not, uh, for it's politically driven, you know anybody's guess there. But you know you've seen uh, gas prices in Europe spike to eighty nine dollars an MMBTU. To put that into perspective, that is twenty nine hundred dollar ammonia cost of production. That's two thousand dollar urea cost of production. This is driving the market. Okay. So if I'm a farmer today, I have an opportunity to buy fall ammonia, sub $1,100, and fall ammonia is my normal practice. You need to be looking at locking that in, working with your retailer, working with your lender, working with your banker, whatever you gotta do to make sure that you are covered on that. Uh, the nitrogen prices, it's not getting better, it's getting worse. We have to have something change in Western Europe to really bring some reprieve to this market. I mean, I was sitting here today, I was not a believer in the health of the UAN market. I thought it was going to have some opportunities to be value. Fast forward to a $30 increase in natural gas prices in Europe. I don't know what's going to happen. There's really nobody on the planet Earth that knows what's going to happen in the nitrogen markets when you have a major place like Western Europe that has this kind of situation going on. We've marginalized all production in Western Europe. Yara's come out this morning uh, and stated that they're going to make massive production cuts you know, that are going to total up to be 2 million tons of urea, like 1.8 million tons of ammonium nitrate, which is still wildly used, widely used in Europe. Acoma, one of the largest producers in Lithuania, came out and said they're shutting down all production on September 1st. We've had Polish, uh, Romanian uh, plants shut down. BASF is shutting down plants in France. This is, it's, it's kind of like Armageddon. I'm not going to lie. This is basically worst case scenario for the nitrogen manufacturing industry. The problem with it, if you're falling hydro, so you don't have much time to make up ground or have a lot of downside into fall, because you know it's, it's gonna be here in 60 days. So really, if fall ammonia is your way of getting nitrogen to your crop, that ship has sailed. It's time to get it locked in. Okay, going back to UAN, it's very much a double-edged sword. Do you put, are you side dressing your UAN? Is it part of a wheat and feed program? How are you using it? Because when you look at the global UAN market today, it is all being driven by what is happening with Western European natural gas. The problem we have is when the DOC, the Department of Commerce last month, shot down the anti-dumping tariffs on Russian and Trinidad UAN, we are now back past the US market back open for business to import Russian UAN, Trinidad UAN. You know, you're talking three to four, three, three to three point five million tons of supply that can come to the United States. So in the near term, prices feel pretty friendly, friendly to go higher. But the problem that we all have is it's all dependent on Western European gas. It is all depending on what's happening in the Russian-Ukrainian war. So if anybody has a crystal ball and can say what's going to happen there. You could predict the market, but until you know, there's some finality to that. But you know, I think this is a really hard time to to be looking at some of these different products when you're talking about I need it for top dress urea, I need it for side dress UAN. You know, it, it's just not a very easy uh, market to call today because a lot of it all is driven driven by political factors we have going on. Um, but I think our job here, you know, as people that are providing farmers with inputs or just information is to provide some guidance on what we believe everybody should be doing or, or some insight in the market. And I definitely know if you're a fall ammonia user, or maybe you're a spring UAN user, if you can have custom ammonia done this fall, probably not a bad idea. So 
those are things that I think that need to be first and foremost on, on people's plans when they're looking at budgeting for next year. Obviously, as you guys know, can't grow corn without nitrogen, right? You know, those are some, some definitely scary things that are happening in the market. The Wall Street Journal is talking about natural gas prices in Europe every single day. You know, it's, it's definitely a major thing that everybody needs to be focused on. And it's not getting better in the short term, for sure. And, uh, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of people that are out there, you know, say, how do we get, how do we predict this? Well, I mean, literally, I look at it from our stand, my standpoint as buying inputs for the company. It happened overnight. And it's that much validity overnight. And the second that it happened, you had every major, every major Western European distributor buying Egyptian granular area, uh, Arab Gulf granular area, Baltic granular area. They were buying, they were buying nitrogen. Wasn't worried, they weren't worried about buying UAN or not. They're just buying nitrogen to feed the crops and created a huge make first buy scenario. It is way cheaper to buy $700 urea FOB Egypt than it is to make $2,000 urea basis $90 natural gas. So, you know, those are the things as a farmer, you know, I want to have my information. I want to have that kind of information. So, you know, again, 515-800-GROW, have the, have the team at the Growth Solution Center, get you in contact with me if you need more information or you need somebody to talk to, more than willing to provide that stuff. You know, this is where I look at it kind of all hands on deck. We got to work together. These are tough markets to navigate because they are not driven by normal market fundamentals. So... Yeah, bad news, but definitely reality, as you can see. Well, and I think it does open up some opportunity when things are in this type of scenario, the situation, cost being what they are, availability being what it is, maybe looking outside, thinking outside the box, how can I optimize my productivity on these acres using a different methodology, using a different tool, using a different application methodology that's gonna give me the opportunity to get the maximum return on investment when I've got limited supply. Yep, and I think that's a very important thing to think about because as the budgets become more robust and the prices continue to go up, every bushel counts, right? And how do I maintain uh, productivity with having good solid data and analytics like what you're looking to do and still produce what I want? And I, I think that's gonna be very valuable information as we look forward to next year because the, the one thing I would say you know, to those listening from a you know, when you're doing your budgets, the good thing is the, the premium chemicals are premium, okay? So the, the branded products are gonna remain a premium. Glyphosate, that was a huge issue last year, is becoming not an issue or not as big an issue. You know, you're probably looking at taking anywhere from five to $6 an acre cost scenario out of the market. Liberty's probably gonna be a similar price that it was last year, maybe a slightly higher. So, you know, there's gonna be some opportunities in the market to lower cost on some of your plant packages that you're going to go out from a herbicide standpoint. Seed is obviously up. There's no doubt about that. It's anywhere from 30 to $40 a bag. So, you know, when you really look at the crop budget next year, you know, there's a lot of decisions. And, you know, today where the corn price and bean prices, margins are not super robust where there's a lot of room for air. So I think that's where, you know, again, we're really looking at it is how do we continue to partner with everybody more so we're providing them good, solid information to then go maximize their output to maximize their profitability. So, well, with that, guys, you know, appreciate everybody coming today. Brad, looking forward to some more of what we're going to be able to provide on the podcast of what you're you're doing for us here at Landis as we kind of build out that, uh, you know, overall data analytic package for our farmers. Dan, as always, we're going to keep posting a lot of information about what's happening out there. Again, for anybody that's not following Dan or myself, um, it's Jam King, Landis, I got Dan's uh, uh, Twitter handle on there as well. You can find us on our Landis Twitter. Our job is we're going to continue to post a lot of information on social media that is you know readily available and um, kind of updated uh, throughout the growing season. So be looking for that. Be looking for a lot of other things coming from us uh, here shortly. So uh, thanks again, everybody, and uh, we're going to kind of transition over here to the next main segment. Okay, kicking off the main segment of our podcast today, 
Uh, my name is Matt Brown, and I'm the Southeast Business Unit Lead for Landis. And today I'm going to be talking with Travis Bell on some Bravant uh, things that they're doing and uh, their new, relatively new brand of the market that's only two years old that, that rolls under the Corteva portfolio. So, Travis, why don't you kick it off and kind of introduce yourself and tell the listeners about uh, what you got going on. All right, Matt. Thanks a lot. Yeah. So as you mentioned, my name is Travis Bell. I'm the portfolio lead for Bravant Seeds US. So cover the all, all portfolios from grain corn, soybeans, um, and in parts of the country, canola, sunflowers. Based out of Missouri, uh, kind of born and raised there on a family farm, and I live there today. So uh, uh, get to have, have done various roles across the business. Started as a field agronomist and had done various roles in product management, agronomy leadership. And now very fortunate to, to lead this portfolio of Bravon as, as we're going into year two with a lot of exciting things going on. Excellent. So let's kick it off for the listeners. We're really happy to have you on, on board today and, and get to hear some things that, you know, you can fill us in on really what the Corteva portfolio and specifically Bravon is doing. So let's just get right into it. We hear all the time from, from growers when we're out in the field that, you know, I'm already plant pioneer and Pioneer's obviously the main leading brand from Corteva. Why on earth would I plant Bravant? Can you speak to that a little bit and, and how you see those differences and, and what differentiates us at the farm gate? Yeah, sure, Matt. Well, you start off with a zinger. I mean, let's get right in, right? No, so we do hear that, right? I hear it in various forms and fashions. And, and, and I'll tell you a couple things. First of all, uh, Pioneer and Bravant have completely exclusive portfolios from each other, right? We, we all pull from a germplasm pool from Corteva, which is the largest in the world. But at the end of the day, we all have different genetics that we're bringing to the market. So they're completely unique from each other. The beauty of Corteva and this germplasm pool that we have is, is it's so robust right now. And, and, and kudos to the breeders and the whole R&D team. They're pumping out so many products for us to evaluate every year that, you know, whether it's us or other brands, we have so many to select from that we really get to hone in and pick products that work for for our market and our channel uh, delivery to the market, right? And so obviously with Bravant, we're focused on the retail segment and we have the fortune to look at products that really fit our retail partners, right? And, and get the feedback from the field. We know that most of our retail partners carry multiple brands. So uh, obviously we bring high performing leading products, but we also can take the opportunity to, to fill the voids that they may have for in other segments of their market. So we really try to fine tune and, and listen to our retail partners and. and pick those products and select those products to bring forward that they really feel a need for them and their portfolio. So I think from a genetic perspective, there's definitely differences um, between the genetics portfolios and, and we hone it to really our customer base and, and our route to market. So I wanna spend a little bit of time talking about some of those things that you just said as far as honing it to uh, the customer base. Could you talk a little bit about how you evaluate products and how products um, could come to market specifically for an area. So what I'm getting at is, do you breed for, you know, all across Iowa and Illinois, you know, east to west, or do you try to have more of your research and your plot work to give specific products example that would fit central Iowa and fit those soil types? Can you talk on how you guys evaluate those products? Yeah, so uh, we've been talking a lot about this lately within our organization, right? When we think of our, our, our efforts around products, we, we talk about global strength and local focus. So, right, as a global organization and a national organization, we think of, you know, big picture. Yeah, we have, we have breeding efforts across the United States and across the globe, quite honestly. And, and we're looking at all those, those big picture trials, I mean, all across the Corn Belt, all across the Midwest. But then it goes back to local focus that ultimately when we're selecting products, we're not necessarily selecting a product that has to go coast to coast and east to west. Like we have the, the fortunate, I guess, opportunity as we work with our partners and retails that no kidding, we can we can hone in and find those products that that would be specific to central Iowa. And that's OK. As long as as long as those products have a big enough fit in the marketplace, uh, I, I'm completely OK as a portfolio lead to bring those products that have a specific or address a specific need for, for a customer, say, in central Iowa. So it is. It goes back to, yeah, global footprint, global focus, uh, major testing across all environments, all diseases, all traits, you know, every characteristic. But at the end of the day, we're, where we really, you know, the rubber hits the road is where we get local. And we think of the local needs of, uh, of our customers who are ultimately your customers. Yeah. And you hit on something, too, at the beginning on, um, you know, talking about retailers and selling multiple brands. And I think that's important for our customers to understand what they're getting from seed purchase. Are they getting the diversity? 
are they truly understanding where the parent companies come from and where that germplasm comes from? Because, uh, and you can talk to this a little bit, but there is a big difference in plant structure and just how they manage stress and all that between the different, you know, the major germplasm companies out there. So uh, how do you see Bravant handling? Oh, let's use an example this year where we've got a little bit of everything, right? We've got the hot and dry and we've got the, we've got the saturated kind of Northeast where we've had plenty of rain. How do you see Bravant performing across that landscape? Yeah, so, you know, one of the things that I would tell you is Mother Nature throws something different at us every year. And, you know, and our job is to bring consistent products that, that, that handle those situations. So I guess I would just say that when I look at it, I feel really confident in general, right? Very confident about the portfolio, what I'm hearing from the field, when I'm, we're starting to really get an evaluation stage, right? Uh, some folks have got to be out in Florida a little bit more, field more than I have lately, but um, it's soon gonna hit. But what we're hearing from the field is that we're handling these variable stresses. And, and I think it goes back to, again, some of the things we do before a product comes to market. And that's obviously the depth of germplasm, but it's through our testing and, and our programs, right? Through our program and testing, a product has to be tested for two years as a final trait version. So that still means it's been tested for likely six, seven, eight years through the whole protocol. But we have to have final trait testing versions in our impact trials for two years across the U.S. And I think that really helps stabilize some of those environmental conditions. It's, it's brought us a lot more reliable data and a lot more consistent. And so it, it allows us to, to take the curveballs that we get thrown every year and, and, and feel confident that we're having products that come to market that can withstand some of the challenges because we're looking over multiple years and multiple environments. And that's really important. I think that's a great thing to talk about because the seed industry in itself, as you think back five, six, seven, eight years ago, maybe didn't didn't do that. It was kind of first to the market. We're rushing things in and, you know, and it feels like we've had the consistency specifically out of the Bravant brand for the last couple of years and all of our plots and our grower experiences, which why in turn has been a brand that's grown for us because we've had that stability and, and still maintaining that high yield uh, and able to handle the stresses as well. I can tell you, Matt, you know, I've done this for 15 years right now and, and, and it, it hasn't always been this way. And I've been part of brands that that were that we were trying to always catch up. You were trying to get to the edge and, and you would look at, you know, one year of data and maybe not final trait versions and, and you would try to rush that market to get to the edge. And again, that's the fortunate, I guess, benefit of the Corteva germplasm pool right now, um, that as we look at it, uh, we're, we're bringing so many new products on an annual basis that honestly, most people are wanting to say, hey, slow down a little bit. Uh, we feel really good about what we have. And actually, because of that depth and because of that performance, we can and we can make sure we do it right uh, every year. And so this two-year testing, is, it's been a game changer to me. been doing advancements for quite a while with, a, with this, uh, this process. And, and I can say we have a very high level of success. When we bring a product forward, we're highly confident in the success this product has for you and your customers. Excellent. Why don't you um, fill us in on some of the new things that are on the horizon as it relates to Bourbonade or the Corteva? platform. Yeah. So, you know, we talk about, I guess, as a portfolio lead, I'll first talk about genetics, right? We've talked about a lot. I mean, we've got a new class of products coming um, from the standpoint on the corn side of 20 new products, 12 to 15 soybean products that we just launched, unique Corteva germplasm on soybeans that we're very excited about. We, we, we coined those as the next gen soybeans of our E3 platform. Very excited about the performance there and, and our corn portfolio. Again, uh, we've done this three years in a row. We just keep raising the bar against ourselves and internally and externally, right? They keep getting the question, can you continue to do this? Uh, will you do it again? And, and the portfolio just keeps bringing out new products. So I'll start there genetically wise, right? So I think that's the building block. The next is, is traits, right? Uh, as we know, this organization has been a genetic powerhouse, right? For many years, uh, we're really starting to take those steps where we're going to be those leadership positions and traits, right? As from a corn perspective, we'll be launching a couple of new traits this year for, for seed and list corn, as well as power corn list, refuge advanced corn. So those are really exciting new offerings. We're seeding the list really is, is tackling this whole challenge with rootworm, right? We know we have a rootworm challenge in the marketplace today. It, it brings us a, you know, a three modes of action above ground, three modes of action below, plus RNAi uh, for those adult beetle control for some of these hard to control issues that we're having with rootworm. So coupled that with the yield potential that we've seen with our, our chrome background, right? We did some special things when we built chrome as far as bringing trait platforms in a molecular stack that really opens up the portfolio and ultimately brings yield to our customers. That same technology is in Borseed. So we have the protection, we got the yield potential through utilizing our, our techniques through the molecular stack, and then we have the herbicide flexibility of enlist corn on there. And, uh, you know, a few years ago, maybe it wasn't as uh, 
as maybe thought of to be a big deal. But as we look at now, we're having more and more trouble. And you guys probably know more better than I do of, of weed control, post-emergent weed control in corn. And, and we're using some herbicides today that maybe weren't using as much. And, and some of those, we have some problems in crop, or we might have problems with susceptible crops with situs. So the enlist component is gonna give some added flexibility for weed control that, that will also be neighbor friendly as we think about options. Uh, PowerCore Enlist RA will give us above ground options. So the three stacks above ground uh, that will give very robust uh, control for insects as well as the Enlist component. And then the fun thing is we're not done there. Uh, you know, always as a guest portfolio and leader, you think about what's next. And maybe in the next five to 10 years, we're talking about a, a new mode of action that will be uh, Corteva exclusive trait leadership. And right, and we're bringing something completely unique to the market, a different mode of action. And so as excited as we are about Vorseed and List Power Core, we're not done yet. And we're gonna continue to deliver innovation from that perspective. Well, that's really good to hear. Um, I wanna circle back and talk about the rootworm thing because one thing I know listeners well, one is something that they can grab right now that they can understand and see in the field. And, and as I think about rootworm and you think about the last, you know, really 10 years of, of, of the rootworm issues, it feels like we've kind of let our guard down a little bit on the rootworm piece as an industry. And then when I say that, I mean, at the farm gate level, are we, are we actually going out and evaluating um, how much feeding we have doing, doing root digs and, and trying to float that larva early to see where we're at and see what kind of control we're getting uh, doing beetle counts in the fall, you know, all those different things on, uh, on managing rootworm and in a wet year, you know, those, those, uh, pressures are masked a little bit on the root feeding, right? Because of root regeneration. And when you have water, you know, you get into a drier situation, which is across a lot of the state, it makes it that much worse. And you really start to see that. So I think rootworm is a bigger issue than what we give you know, what we give it for today. And we're going to need things uh, like Vorseed and that to help manage that as we go forward. For my seat, as I look at, you know, growers and, and there's not as much, you know, infro insecticide and those types of things going on today. So it's really good to hear that, that we'll have an option to help, help manage the rootworm populations. Yeah. So you bring up a really good point in that. I told you I was from Missouri earlier, right? And so uh, I, I liken this to things that we were dealing with with herbicide resistance and weeds, right? Well, we used to think oh, there's one approach to fix it. There was going to be a silver bullet. There was always going to be a new trait. Uh, I think we, if we're not thinking about corn rootworm that way, we better start really quickly because because there are there's there's multiple modes of action or multiple techniques that we need to, and you outline many of them, right? Whether it's, it's soil applied insecticide, whether it's seed treatment, whether it's rotation, which a lot of people don't want to hear about. Yes, trait technology is phenomenal and, and it's definitely going to help, but things like seed focusing on really a, adult beetle control um, to, to reduce those populations, those are great, but we all have to think about this multifaceted approach. Uh, we don't spray soybeans the same way we used to about 10 years ago, right? We, we all do uh, multiple modes of action, maybe a couple pre's, a fall applied. And when you start thinking about rootworm management the same way, the, the multiple techniques and tactics that we can go to tackle corn rootworm. Yeah, and there's really no silver bullet in agriculture, right? Everything we talk about, whether it's weed control, insect control, uh, yield management, you know, that high yield piece, it's never one thing. It's always a combination of two or three or four or five. So. And that's something that the listeners got to start thinking about and working with their their local retailer and having those conversations about because if we don't to your point it's only going to get worse to a point we can't manage and and we all nobody nobody that's listening wants that to happen so uh that's really good to hear i want to circle back to your circle to something that's a little kind of a hot spot right now as you think across the the midwest and uh, the state of Iowa, it's kind of exploded uh, in the last couple of weeks where we're kind of seeing it everywhere, and that's tar spot. You want to give us kind of a brief update on where you see Vermont from a tar spot management um, and tolerance level to that? Yeah, as you said, yeah, the last, you know, this year it's it's hot spot. You know, we've had other years. Last year was a really hot spot over in Illinois and Wisconsin, Michigan. So, yeah, definitely a, a hot topic, and we just get to discuss a lot. You know, there's two really tactics of control today, right? First is genetic resistant, and one is obviously a fungicide application. And uh, as we've evaluated and, and we've started, right, when first tar spot, tar spot hit in the last couple of years, uh, one of the things that we're very fortunate 
within our organization is that our genetics has a really nice tolerance to tar spot. We have very strong tolerance across our portfolio. And I can tell you, I wish I could say, oh yeah, we were good. And we were thinking about this five to 10 years ago, we were breeding products. But honestly, uh, we were just very fortunate that our genetic has a strong tolerance base. It goes back to this depth of our germplasm and, and the broad spectrum that we have, that we have options to look at. And our performance is very strong. Uh, we hear it from our customers, you know, lots of visuals. And obviously about three years ago, when this really started to come to fruition, we started doing a, a multi-year screening effort and get to ratings around our products. And it's coming out you know, from our field level observation, anecdotal type information, as well as what we see at our rating scale. That our genetics is strong and, and, and in much time stronger than our competition. And so we're very proud of that. But again, it's not one of those diseases you can sleep on. As you said, there's no silver bullet, right? And so uh, definitely a, a process of management, that the scouting you talked about earlier that you need to do, but definitely strong, starting with a strong genetic base will give you an opportunity to, to at least be in the game. And then using your other tools in your toolbox will definitely help you uh, maximize your yield on the farm. Yeah, and it's it's one that just continues to get worse as you think about, um, you know, finally the kind of the center part of the state finally catching a little bit of moisture and and we're getting a lot of dews at night and in the morning there's a heavy dew. So um, we feel like this is going to continue to, to, you know, keep progressing uh, because, of what the, because the weather conditions are so right for it right now. So yeah, we've been encouraging customers to think about fungicides and, and, and scout, right? That's the number one thing is what do we actually have out there and, and how bad is it? Uh, we've all heard the horror stories of Illinois a, a year ago and, you know, it's just something, it's just another thing, right? That's going to continue to uh, be something for us to have to manage. And that goes from the seed company uh, on your side to, you know, the fungicide piece on our side. So, um, so it's, it's good to hear that the Bravant brand has a, a natural tolerance to a lot of it. What do you think about uh, some of the drier, hotter conditions? How are your products going to perform as it relates to the dry, hot conditions and some of the, you know, that we're seeing in the northwest part of the state um, and in kind of the southern southern half as well? Yeah, you know, it kind of goes back to some of the things we discussed about before, you know, really very confident. Um, you know, last year is advancement class, honestly. So we really dealt with this. Actually, you deal with hot, dry every year. When you test across the whole corn belt, you, you find it every year. But the last few years have given us those opportunities to screen these products across a wide range of environments. You know, and specifically in our advancement class, the last two to three years, we really found some of those products that have been handling stress. And so when we go out to this product evaluation this year, it's really great to hear our customers and our, our partners saying, hey, no kidding, this new product is handling this stress exceptionally well and doing what you said it was going to do. So I feel really good about it. And again, Mother Nature's afford us the opportunity to screen it, our, our testing footprint, and uh, you know, it's not always easy to pick those products, right? Everybody wants to, to chase high yield and absolutely we're, we're about yield and high performance products, but the, you need that risk management. You need that balance in your portfolio. So you talked about it earlier, having diversity and having a balance of products. And, and those are the, one of those few products that we really, we take pride in um, to, to go out and make sure we have those products that can handle the stress, especially when we talk about drought and heat overall. And again, feeling really good at what we're seeing in the, in the products. Uh, the feedback we've gotten this summer so far has been, it's been exceptional, quite honestly, on how our products are looking in the market. Well, we, uh, we're looking forward to getting the combines in the field um, and actually, you know, validating a lot of the stuff that we've been preaching as well and sharing that with, you know, the listeners here. Travis, I want to thank you for uh, coming out with us today and, and having a conversation about Brabant and Corteva and what things are going on. I think there's a great opportunity for the listeners to work with the Landis staff and get a better understanding about genetic diversity and, and how we can help them uh, manage some of those things. Because like we've talked from the start, there's not a silver bullet and there's not a silver bullet in the Brabant brand uh, and there's not a silver bullet in any other brand. So uh, genetic diversity is key in, in help mitigating risk across uh, our listeners and customers field. So again, thank you for spending the time with us today and appreciate you coming to Iowa and uh, giving us the insight on Vermont. Yeah, thank you, Matt. Thank you for the opportunity to be here and, and talk to your customers. And, you know, as, as we talked about it many times today, one of those differentiators for Bravant is Azultima U as our partner, right? We've talked about how we need to scout, how we need to be diligent and think through the whole process on the farm and, and all the things and all the technology and all the, the challenges we face. Uh, partners like yourselves are, are really what make the Bravant brand successful, right? We, we come through retail and, and, and that extra service and opportunity that you provide your customers, uh, that's why we're proud to be a part of exclusively through retail and excited to see what the future brings for, for, for both of our organizations.
Excellent. Thanks a lot, Travis. Okay, we're going to transition to uh, this month's product of the month, and we have Travis Belt with us still, and, and beings that we talked about, Bravant Corn, we're going to feature some Bravant hybrids that everybody should take a look at as we come into the next uh, growing season. All right, Matt. Yeah, thanks a lot. Um, you know, it's always dangerous, right, getting a portfolio lead to come into a specific area and give recommendations. So hopefully all the guys listening will say, hey, Travis, you uh, you did a good job for us. So, uh, yeah, when I think of, you know, especially thinking of our customers here in Iowa, I, I can't help but start off with the, the BO6Y18 Chrome product. Right, that product is uh, was really built for Iowa. Uh, when you talked about earlier, we talked about products that do we really hone in, and this is one of those. When you think of Iowa and probably Northern Illinois, it just finds its home. It's a sweet spot, sweet spot for performance, agronomics fits. We talked about tar spot, it's solid on tar spot. So it's one of those that you know in that earlier side of your maturity that I would really focus on as a product that would fit uh, most growers in this state. As we move up, uh, we would think of uh, the 09Z08AM. So B09Z08, uh, product been around for a couple of years. And when we talk about high performance, that's what B09Z08 is, right? We have the above ground only option, but when we talk about high management, high yield acres, yield to moisture, this, this product is phenomenal. For a 109 day product, competing with our 112, 113, 114 day products. It's just one of those uh, unique products that gives you that high end performance with exceptional dry down. And so it's, it's yield to moisture ratings are the best in the business. Then I would switch to probably the, the B12CO1 AM and Chrome. Uh, when we think about this product, it, it's got the Aquamax tag on it. So when we know, obviously, when we think about balancing stress and, and, and tolerance, this brings high performance, but it also has that, that ability to handle the stresses of, of drought and, uh, and heat that we're experiencing this year. So this product's been an anchor in our portfolio for, for multiple years now. Uh, obviously, one of our top volume products across the country, but it's really found its home here in Iowa as being a leader product at the 112 day. And as the portfolio guy, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you about a brand new one that we're really excited about. So we have a new 110 day product, we call it B10H24. We have AM and Chrome on this product. And when we launched this product last year, we were really excited about the performance. Uh, at 110 day, it's a sweet spot we were really trying to, to hit that, that goes across a wide window of, uh, of our growing area top-end performance, really fits the central corn belt exceptionally well, and, and the nice bonus that we're seeing this year with enough stress that we've had in the marketplace, it's getting some of the top re reviews for what we're seeing out there handling this heat and drought stress we have. So we really think we have a really new uh, leader emerging at that 110 day that brings you an option for uh, AM and Chrome, so above and below ground options with that product. Excellent. Well, thank you for that update. I'd encourage our listeners to go have a conversation uh, with one of their uh, land us account leads and figure out how we can, you know, help work those products in and, and give them a look at uh, kind of the new emerging things from Vermont. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely go talk to your local experts, right? They're going to have that touch and feel and be able to bring it the next step level lower, talk about the management populations and those kind of things to, to really get to maximize the success of these products. Thanks a lot, Travis. Thank you for joining us again on this month's Grow Podcast. Special thanks to our guests that joined me today, uh, providing this information. And if you have further questions regarding anything we talked about today, please call us at 515-800-GROW. And the team will be sure to get you in contact with myself or Dan directly to get those questions answered. Again, thank you for your support of Landis Business. Have a great week.